What's up, ladies and gentlemen? You're listening to New Hill Talks, a podcast for the members and regular attenders of New Hill Church. My name is Michael Meadows. I'm the lead pastor at New Hill Church. And Mark Sherry, pastoral candidate. <laughs> I was just going to leave it there. No, you got to... You know, I, it's been so long. How am I even supposed to know what I'm supposed I mean, to you're say? Com- you're coming to an end. Yeah, it's been... Well, but since we've had this podcast, yeah. at least that I've been on, it's been months for me. Yeah, but I mean, like your oh, that's right, your candidacy. candidacy. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. Uh, a year in July. You know, I was just listening um, to your voicemail um, that you originally left the the church. I was going back. You and, saved it. That's and checking it out. Well, it, it's on our Google Voice number. Um, the problem is, is I archived it. Otherwise, I would show it to you. I don't know where to get to. Oh, I do know is where it, to get is to. Is it to. here? Hey, uh, Pastor, call me back to make sure you're not heretics. And here's this questionnaire I need you to fill out before talking to me. You, well, would, you, would, you would have that. Hey, my name is Mark. I'm inquiring about your church. When you have a moment, someone can call me back. Zero four four. Like that I'm, was it. I stop. You know, I stop. I think, stop your number. I think. I think I was so. Dozens of people. Yeah, I, I think I was so tired of calling all the churches that I was just out of steam by the time I called you guys. You definitely sounded out of steam. He's like, "Hello, my name is Mark. I'm inquiring about your church." Um, yeah, it's funny, and I remember getting your name and being on the phone with you and like looking you up on Facebook. And uh, you said like theological junkie or what was it like yeah, in your theology junkie theology junkie, and I was like ah this guy's gonna be reformed. Uh, it's like anybody who says theology junkie, um, it's an addiction yeah, really for sure. I mean, and speaking of theology junkie, we've just uh, gotten out of a not gotten out of like, <laughs> like <laughs> we made finally, it finally finally it's over completed. Out of purgatory, right? Um, sorry, I'm listening. So Mark and I are actually uh, dads of the year right now. Our kids are right. running around. We're recording this outside. So if you hear background noise or if the kids come up, uh, just be gracious to us. Um, no, no, sweetie. Put the gun down. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, you, know, you know what? I, I did, I did want to hit this real quick before we get into uh, the series. I, I woke up this morning and Aubrey said, did you see uh, – Obama's tweet. I heard, about, tweet. I heard about that. Yeah. I said, no, hon, like, you know how I feel about all that stuff. Like, <laughs> things can get taken out of context. I go and look it up. said, hey, like, while we're grieving these children who have just been shot and killed, oh let's remember gosh. George Floyd. And oh, I'm like, my goodness. I'm like, yo, like, yo, two years ago, we were, like, working through that. Didn't matter, like, what side you were on. Like, our, my, my position is, all right, it stinks when anybody made in the image of God loses yes. their life. Like, yes, I felt that. I mourned that. It was terrible. But, like, this is not one of those, like, hey, my grandma died. Oh, my grandmother died, too. Like, I know how difficult. Like, yeah. the only the only comparison here would be a Sandy Hook parent reaching out and saying, That's right. I empathize with, I, I, I know that pain, and no one else can. It was just so you, weird. You really can't be any more insensitive or tone deaf yeah. to push your political agendas. It, and and I, I really wanted to hit that because I think it's so important for us to think like before we speak to mm. um I think he th- I think he thought that through. Um like I don't oh, yeah. think that was on accident. Um but you know, as Christians I think it's important to to really listen to people like when they're hurting and when they're mourning and, and not try and push something or or even don't try and push your advice just because you're like, oh, now now's my chance. Like, read the room yeah. and like maybe maybe advice um, or empathy would be good to be talked about uh, later down the road. Well, awesome. Jo- Job's friends are a great example of how to respond to 
See, look at this. We're good dads. That, we thanks, are. kids, for making us look good. Yeah, Job's friends are the best example of how to respond to those who are suffering. So when, when someone's suffering greatly, come and be silent with them. They came and they sat with him for seven days in silence. And I look back and reminded of all the stupid things I said as a young Christian to people who are suffering. Just callous, right to the point, no understanding of their situation. You know, quoting a Bible verse out of context. Oh, for sure. And it's like, man, I cannot believe some of the things I've said when well, I was yeah. younger. Well, yeah, the easiest thing, right? Like someone dies, some terrible tragedy. All things oh, work to, yeah. it's, for it's, the glory of God. It's all God. good. God's in control. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> Or we know that. Like, <laughs> it's, it still hurts. Like, that's why you have, like, a ton of, like, books and verses on lamenting. Like, yes. Just yeah. crying out. Honestly, yeah. complaining. I mean, it's just like, mm-hmm. God, why would you? Like, when when will you find favor upon me? Like, right. Um, yeah. So, anyways, I wanted to hit that. Um, and it's just a good reminder, you know, read the room, pay attention, be careful with your words. Um, but... We did just uh, wrap up a series uh, in the Doctrines of Grace titled TULIP, uh, which is the acronym um, best associated with Calvinism. Um, And it's a breakdown of um, really a resurgence that I think Calvin kind of was leading, um, but it was not his doctrines. I think it's important to state. And that's what we wanted to really bring out of in this series is that these doctrines are found in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Um, which teach us that it was even before Genesis was pinned down. Um, this has been who God is and how God has operated since before the foundations of the world. That's right. Um, so again, just a, a brief recap on the, the points. You have the total depravity of man, um, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. One of the things that we tried to explain throughout the series and Tried not to overemphasize it, but did want to make sure it's clear that, that this is is not and should not be a dividing line between our church members um, and the mission that God has called us to. Um, but we do believe it's b- biblical. Uh, so what that means is uh, this is a secondary or tertiary issue um, that even if you don't line up with it, it does not mean that you are not saved. Um, but we believe it, and we do hope that everybody would see <clears throat> not just the value of it, but the, the, the sound... Um, foundation that it is biblical and is not some made-up belief. Right. Now, one of the questions I received um, in person, I wanted to open up with that, because we, we've mentioned that it's secondary, what are the implications um, if someone um, in our church were to disagree with these points? Hmm. So it's secondary. So, like, what does that mean for them? Can um, Maybe they're still uh, saved, which they are if they disagreed, but still believe in the gospel hmm. uh, message. Um, what does it mean for them as a, a member of New Hill? Do they need to find a new place to worship or what? Yeah, we, we welcome you. I've, I've said it before. I'll say it again that I, I'm a staunch five-point Calvinist, and I married an Arminian. My wife is an Arminian, was an Arminian, is now kind of a hybrid leaning towards my point of view. Of course, I influenced her. Took longer than I thought, but you don't have that ir- irresistible grace. I don't have that. I have resistible grace, yeah. as is demonstrated daily. But you know, it, it, so so I think that's a good. I think that I'm a good model for how the how New Hill is towards its members who disagree. We love you. We care for you, and you you might not imbibe all these points, but that's okay. You're mm-hmm. still a believer. 
there are actually more important topics that uh, around the gospel, the centrality of Christ and his gospel, that we need to build into them. And these are not tertiary, but truly secondary. And so, yeah, I mean, if, if I can love and want to marry my wife in that you know, belief system she was in, then certainly we love the members who disagree with us as I love my wife. Sure. Yeah, and I, I think it's just important to um, also emphasize that, okay, maybe you don't agree with us um, on these points, um, but I would say that you should you should know why you don't agree. Yes. Um, and not just, I don't like how it feels, um, I wasn't taught that growing up, um, because we as pastors, we're open to correction, um, so I would hope that the pastor that taught you, contrary to what we're teaching, um, is also open <clears throat> excuse me, to correction um, in the sense that we're continually uh, leaning into God's word um, to see what it has to say but not, and not what we have to say about it. Um, that's, it's really important that we're trying to bring out the biblical truth and not add in um, the, the, the errant truth of our minds. Um, so if you disagree know why you disagree and continue to grow even these secondary issues they're important um if secondary issues didn't matter then a majority of the bible wouldn't be written because there, yes. there's there's plenty of secondary issues yes um but they're still important and, and building blocks even for um for how we go and even evangelize like like this doctrine uh and maybe we'll get into it in the questions um i can't quite remember off the top of my head but this gives you a a uh, an assurance when you go out to share the gospel that people are um, being saved and they're going to be saved, um, and it doesn't matter how great of a presentation you give or how terrible of a presentation you give. Christ yeah. is saving His people. That's right. And and can you honestly can you adequately argue the points from a non-emotional standpoint? Most arguments, like Michael said, are well. This doesn't feel right. Well, the reason it doesn't feel right is because we're in a fallen state. As sinners, we have a sin, sin nature that is at enmity with God, and what he has revealed doesn't jive with what we believe. So I would just challenge, if, if you don't like it, do some research, ask some questions, and then if you end up solid in your position still and are able to better articulate that and argue against it, that's great. At least right. properly understand what the other team is saying and then before we get into the other questions just talking about like this this feeling that we have against it right like these emotions that we have against this do these doctrines would you say and then i'll give my perspective would you say that american culture has persuaded this doctrine away from calvinism <clears throat> absolutely it is individualistic you look in other culture cultures like brazil uh south korea a lot of Calvinists because they just have a different culture. We have a culture of individualism and free will such that, you know, our, our structure of capitalism, which I love and want it to continue, although it seems like it's headed in the wrong direction, um, it, it instills this independence and do-it-yourself, pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps mentality. Man-made. Yeah, man. Self-made. Right. Self-made man, woman, and that that's the lens at which we look at the scriptures. Yeah. So we don't look, you know, God makes rich and poor. You look at that verse, and you're like, well, wait a minute. That's not true. In America, you can work hard. That That's correct. That's correct. But ultimately, it's the sovereign God who delegates those statuses to people of rich and poor. So there's 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 mystery in it. No, no question about it. We're not saying we have it all figured out. God's predestination is mysterious to us. Right. But it's true. <laughs> right. Well, and, and that's the thing is like, 
so like why why are we dealing with this it's like well because words like election and predestination are talked about so it's like yeah. we don't want to just like not deal with it because um it's not important and i also think it's important um to understand like as we kind of brought out throughout this series was um the historical grammatical context is like these letters the epistles are written to the elect Right. Well, what's that mean? Well, the church, right? Like yeah. believers. Um, so then anybody who then professes faith can read those and, and begin to understand it because it's spiritually discerned and they now have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. But it'd be like me reading a letter that your great-great-grandfather wrote back to the generations like that would proceed, like come after him, right? And and me reading it and like, man, that's really good, Grandpa. And like my friend looks at me and he's like, it's not your Grandpa. <laughs> He's talking about our line. You're five foot ten. We're six foot six. Like, you're not big people. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it, it just doesn't make sense to try and like to read the scriptures outside of a relationship with Christ because it, it won't make sense. Paul says the word of God is folly to mm. those who are perishing. And it's like yep. we we read that and we're like, oh yeah, it's true. And then we go and we're like, hey, don't you understand this? It's like no, they don't understand it. But back to the the point. Like I've seen like. Jesus with like the American flag like draped around him. It's like I died for you, and like Christ died. For, and like I've seen things. It's like Christ died for Cleveland. Like I've seen churches like right. in the air. And I I get the sentiment. Yeah. Um. But it's important to understand, namely, what Christ accomplished on the cross. And when you understand that, it, it's different in how it is applying and and how we should really be wording our gospel presentations. But I enjoyed the series, and it seems like um, most of everybody did too, even those who. Um, have not come to, to grips with it. They, they've enjoyed hearing uh, different stances. Uh, but the first question I have for us, um, aside from the one about it being secondary, is what does total depravity really mean with regards to man's ability to repent, come to Christ, and be saved? Does it mean that while we are unsaved, we are able to come to Christ? Or does it mean that we are so fallen in sin that we can't come to Christ and only we come to Him um, and the only way we can come to him is by God specifically giving us a new nature. Yeah, and this is a good question. I actually asked this question in college. Does the word so so everybody, Calvinists and non-Calvinists agree that we have responsibility. And I look at that word and I ask the professor, so wait a minute, I you know, most of us here believe in total inability or total depravity. Does that mean that um, we are responsible? And his answer was no. It, it, it or uh, no, we are not responsible, but we are responsible. We're culpable. We're liable. So yeah, the the question per Michael's sermon, the first one is: Can a dead man, it dead in sin, God hating, under condemnation, an enemy of God, can that person in their deadness, in their rejection of God, hatred of God? Can they look to God in and of themselves in a way that makes them call upon him for favor? And the answer of the scriptures is no. Can the leopard change his spots? No, he cannot. Can the Ethiopian change his skin color, as Jeremiah says? No, he cannot. Uh, these, are impossible, these are impossibilities for a dead person to respond. Now, that leaves you with a really bleak picture in the world where people are in uh, unable, incapable of responding. So this is where some of uh, the people, they say, well, that's just 
fatalism. That's like that's that's hopeless. No, that's the good news of the gospel. And so, like uh, some of my neighbors, they're not Christians. Some of my neighbors are. What makes the difference between why I called upon God and why they did not? Is it because I'm more sensitive, more spiritual, smarter, wiser? No. Many of my neighbors are smarter, wiser, some of them more spiritual than me. For sure. The, the, the reason, that the only thing that distinguishes us, yeah, Michael's smiling. He's like, yeah, they are. Uh, the, the only thing that distinguishes us is the grace of God. And it's not a common grace that allows me to breathe. It's not him sending the rain on the just and the unjust. It is a special grace. And also, it's not a prevenient grace. It, again, not everybody has this grace. It's not effective. So I, I think... There's the rub. It's like, well, wait a minute. If you can't do anything, then you can't do anything. And that's why this doctrine is hated so much, because there's an inability. And that's what magnifies God the most, that while they are dead, completely dead, separated from God, God reached down and he saved many of us. Right. And those he did not save, they deserve the judgment. The question is not why does God you know, only save some. The question is, why does God save any? Right. Yeah, because all of us, our will, and we'll get into the free will in a little bit, all, our will is against the will of God. So we need him to intervene, to change our will, to change our hearts, to give us that new nature. Um, otherwise, our will is continually rejecting him. Uh, Romans 1, 18 through 20, we're suppressing that truth. That's our will. Um, and a lot of us, we look at it level at levels. Well, like I'm a, I'd say I was like, a one out of ten, like in rejecting God's truth. Like I'm not as bad as like the Hitler, right? And it's like right. that we're not saying are you as bad as the other person. And that's right. the the T is best summarized for sure in that um, we're not as bad as we can be, but we're as bad off as we can be. Or right. we may not be as bad as we can be. Some some of us are, like you know, like, yeah. like God's looking well, at like, you're like one of the worst. Right. Why, why are you looking at my wife, Michael? Uh, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, Just he's kidding. totally kidding. It's like some of us are. Yeah makes a little gesture. <laughs> um, one of the scriptures I didn't uh, get into, we, we read Romans 9, um, but then I stopped. And um, there's a lot that we can get into uh, with the scriptures. It's not like I pulled the, the three passages I could find that like would closely uh, talk about this. But Romans 9, uh, 18 and down just a little bit. Paul says, So he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And then what I love about Paul here is that he is foreseeing these objections to this. So verse 19, he says, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? He says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? That that had me, Mark. When I first read this, who are you, O man, to answer back to God? And I was like, whew. And then he continues, will the molded... Uh, will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and the other for dishonorable? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with us much patience, vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles? I mean, I was yeah. like, like whatever you say, I'm surrendering. Like, and yeah, how do you even argue with that? Yeah, it's nations. Mm-hmm. Well, but there's people in that context, and people consist nations, right? And then I love um, our sending church, New Heights. 
they did a, a live album recording, like music wise for worship. And they did I've Decided to Follow Jesus. Yeah. And then there was Pastor Will got up and preached in between. Yeah. And then they did a, a new rendition is I've decided I will surrender. That was it. Mm. Not I've decided I will follow, like just surrendering so, so to that's a, to your will. That's a good question. That's the next the part A. If ultimately we do come to Christ, isn't our decision for Christ of our own doing? So do you decide when you believed on Christ, did you believe on Christ? Did you repent of your sins? Yeah, did, I, you, I, you I repented of my sins, correct. That's right, you, you did. So the, And that's not, what you're saying is like, not saying man God's, has responsibility. The yes. Arminian and Calvinists alike agree with this. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not saying that you don't need to repent or you, like, uh, you don't actually repent or believe. You do. Within you, you believe. You repent. Right. But the reason for that is because God gave you faith. God granted you repentance. Remember, uh, Ephesians 2, uh, for by grace you have been uh, saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Faith, yes, salvation, but faith is God's gift. And not everybody has it because God has not given it to everyone very right. clearly throughout the scriptures. And and it's so important, I think, to to hit that. Like we are not saying that that people don't repent and believe. Like, uh, but what we're saying is it's a surrender. And and the Holy Spirit has at that point at the like before you repent and believe has regenerated you. Right. Like that's like right. We get into the order of salvation. And that yeah. this is really what Calvinists are arguing is what happens behind the scenes, not what happens out loud. Um, we are arguing that um, that Christ is the one God altogether, the the triune God and each person of the Trinity deserves all of the credit for our salvation. But of course you repent and believe. Of yes. course. Because Romans ten makes it so very clear that if one confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord and that he died on the cross and God raised him from the dead, he will be saved. That's right. Like, I mean, it, it makes it clear. And then Paul even goes on, and this is why um, the most extreme Calvinist needs to calm down and realize that God has chosen, just like he's chosen us before the foundation of the world, he's chosen and ordained the means in which people will come to faith through hearing of the word. And how are they to hear, Paul says in Romans, without someone right. being sent and going? And, how and he, can they he goes go? back to Isaiah. Yeah. How beautiful are the feet of those who share the good news, right? right? Like, How can they go unless they're sent? Yeah. So so we, every week, we try and commission the members of New Hill Church to go out and to proclaim the gospel, calling sinners to repent, trusting that God is the one saving them, indeed, actively saving them today and until he comes back. Right. Let me ask you, if, if it's up to the person, why do you why do you pray to God to save people? If it's up to the person, if if Christ atoned for every single individual in your community and they have provenient grace, why are you praying for God to save them? I'll tell you why. It's because you know God's the only one who can save them. And it, it, it like, you know, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. I, I think some of the analogies... Get misconstrued, like, you know, God comes and kicks down the door of our hearts. There is a sense in which that is true. You look at Acts 9 with Saul on the road to persecute Christians. He doesn't come and knock on Saul's door and say, uh, excuse me, sir, would you like to receive me as your Lord and Savior? No, he sends a blinding light, knocks him off his horse, and, and then... 
through process, shows him who he is, so he is thus converted. Um, but there, there is a power of God that we don't want to miss in the scriptures. God isn't negotiating with men. He isn't, you know, trying to like give and take. It just looks that way sometimes because a lot of those situations are anthropomorphisms. They, they help us understand what's going on. Um, and a lot of this can be really spoken to under what we referenced at the end of one of the services with monergism and synergism. So if you're a Calvinist, you are a monergist. If you are a Arminian, you are a synergist. Which, um, uh, mon- yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. Were you getting into that? Yeah, yeah. But go ahead. Well, monergism, I'm reading from Got Questions here uh, just to give us a direct uh, definition. But monergism, which comes from a compound Greek word that means to work alone. Um, is the view that God alone affects our salvation. This is held by um, the Calvinistic and Reformed traditions. Synergism, which also comes from a compound Greek word meaning to work together. Uh, so there's synergy there, right? There's mm-hmm. uh, Man is working with God uh, for his salvation. But monergism, what uh, Pastor Mark was just saying, is what Calvinists would believe, is that we believe God is working alone um, working out our salvation for our good and for his glory. Yeah, one of the ser- first sermons you preach in Jonah, Jonah 2.9, salvation is of the Lord. Yeah. It's not salvation, asterisk, and also of man's free will. Right. Um, you know, I want to touch on free will. I, I think it gets into the questions, but I think this is a good, what is, well, let me let me, let me me phrase it. Yeah, let me throw it to you. What, what, what it, do, do Christians, do uh, unbelievers, is there such thing as free will? Yes. So, yes. The, so, the most people's understanding of free wills is your free choice to do whatever you want. Right. Um, so we believe that you have that. Um, now, we also believe that, I guess I would say a little bit more in a limited scope, um, is you have the free will to do whatever your sinful, wrathful nature yes. will allow you to do. Yes. Um, so your free will, and that's what I was saying earlier, is it's important to, to, to understand that our will we cannot change it on our own, right? Because uh, we're committed to suppressing the truth. Romans one eighteen through twenty. Yeah. Um, and and again, when you read that, don't think of just like foreigners or think about like the worst people. That that was you. So Paul's yes. Paul's writing about people who suppress the truth, but he's writing that to people who used to suppress the truth, but have now been changed by the grace of God. So our free will is limited um, by our sinful, wrathful nature that hates God and oppresses him. Again, you're going to think in your head right now what I was just saying earlier, the scale of 1 to 10. Well, I wasn't suppressing him that much, but you were suppressing him nonetheless. So, and that, again, is in your limited framework of of your will. Yeah, I I mean, so it depends on what you mean by free will. Right. If if you mean free agent to do what you please to do within that sin nature, within that state of death— under the control of God, so really, I mean, can a can a uh, you can't do anything you want. You can't fly with, without an airplane, right? You don't have the ability to do whatever you want. So you're not truly free in that sense. Um, but like a like a a a bird has a free wing, uh, free will. But if it has a broken wing, it cannot fly. It might want to fly, but it can't fly. And so within your nature. You can try to do whatever you want to do under the control and providence of God. But Martin Luther wrote a great little book called The Bondage of the Will. And this is what the Reformers talked about. When they spoke against free will, they were not necessarily talking about 
you know, making choices, like you can't turn left or right, you can. I can move up, I can move down, left, right, I can end my work, I can start my work, right, as provided God permits me. And then you'd argue, is that really free will? Okay, well, there is something to be said where that terminology is used. But in terms of the will, you have to understand, at the fall, when, when God said to Adam, surely on the day you eat it, you will die, that's where his will was bound. Jesus very clearly says that whoever sins is a servant of sin. They can, they can only and always serve their sin. It might look good. It might be heroic. It might be philanthropic. How do you say that? Ph philanthropic. Yes, it might be. But, but you're still bound within that sin nature. And so when we say we... Like there's a sense, okay, we'll, we'll give it to you, free will. And there's a sense in which, no, there is no free will because we're bound in our sin. And unless the sun sets you free, you're just going to be in that straight jacket of sin until judgment day. Right. But, and, and again, I mean, you, you said a lot and I'm, I'm reading ahead a little bit too. Yeah, um, we can mix it up. But you don't want to, like, in your free will, you don't even want to be out of that straight jacket. I think a lot of times we think about it just being constrained, but yes. like we want that. Yeah, like, like we want, and we, we and, and, and Christians should understand this too, because like you struggle with sin, um, and why? Because your nature's been changed, but you still live in this this fallen world. Right. So it's like at this point you don't want to be in the straitjacket, um, but before Christ interceded, you did want to be. Like yes. you had you had no care, right? Like the grass didn't look greener on the other side. It yep. looked it looked dirty, nasty. But when Christ opens your eyes, the veil is lifted. Then you see, but it's Christ that lifts that veil. Right. Yeah. So just understanding that I think is, is just important for, for yeah, people. And, it, and again, the motivation we see from Scripture is to make sure that God gets all the glory, not the man. Because guess what? If you if you say, I I am saved, I say it's like I saved myself. I was better, I was smarter. Here, the rain, the rain's coming down here. I'm the good, the so just, we'll and, the, and the unjust. Uh, Rose's home, so oh, she'll yeah. go. Oh, she's she good. got here. Yeah, yeah. she yeah. Well, maybe I don't know. Maybe, maybe Take your work. shoes off. <laughs> My kids just come running in. They don't want to melt in the rain. Jump on the couch. Well, you roll got around all, all over the bed. Ever, yeah. Oh, I know. I'll be buying you a new couch. Yeah, for sure. See how this is gonna go. For sure. Well. Um, okay, so another question we got. Are the T, U, and I, which is total depravity of man, unconditional election, and irresistible grace, um, reconciled with man's free will by God's offering of provenient grace? Can you define that real quick? Yeah, provenient so that, grace. That's that's something, I, I'm not saying Charles uh, Wesley defined this. It was really developed by the followers of Jacob Charles Arminius. Wesley? Charles Wesley. Not John? Uh, well, they were both. Yeah, both both them. Are John, they brothers? Yeah, they were brothers. Really? Yes. They're part of the Seven Holiness Club. I just Friends think Wesley, maybe I've, read, maybe I've read... Uh, <clears throat> I mean, Charles. I might be... It was both of them taught prevenient grace, but basically that God has given a measure of grace right. that enables anybody in any time to be saved. And that is frankly just not biblical because, again, that leaves, that leaves it in the human's hands. So the question is, how do you reconcile leaving it in the human's hand, like God's active role in salvation versus ours with when he supposedly has given provenient grace. Well, you'd have to assume he gave it and then the problem goes away. But but we're not even given that in scripture. We're not, yeah, no, we, we don't see that. Salvation so I think belongs to, to the Lord. Lord. Yes. Right. And like you keep, going, yeah, you keep going back to it. And, and I get the sentiment of like why people like would hope for this. Just being honest with you, and I'm sure you would agree, Mark, 
I I would hope for universalism. Like yeah, yeah. For me, I mean, and and that's the idea that everybody's saved. You don't have to come to faith in Christ. That right. we're just doing this kind of for fun. Yeah. Right? But and like ultimately, God's gonna save everybody because every tongue will confess and knee will bow. Like, but we don't believe that. Like you, I would love to. Do you know? Do you know? It's funny. Every every. Christian wants universalism to be true. They want post-millennialism to be true. Who doesn't, right? We all want that. But not biblical. It's not. One of them is not biblical. <laughs> so, but I remember at one of the studies, you know, I, um, I, I had said, you know, hey, I, I, I think, you know, I'm a compassionate guy. I'd let this person into heaven. And Gary challenged me. He said, no, it's not because you're. It's not because you're compassionate. It's because you have a perverted sense of justice. Yeah. And that, I mean, you know how Gary strong about his statements. But it hit me. I thought that's right. That's why I. That's why I would have everybody be saved. But then, guess what? You wouldn't. You wouldn't have a demonstration of God's wrath. And that is right. that is one of the points of reprobation of leaving those who are not elect in their sin, is for God's glory. Yeah. Now that that does not feel comfortable. I don't like saying that. Nobody likes hearing that. But that is what Romans 9 and many other passages teach. That God, why have I raised you up, Pharaoh, that I might show my power in you? Mm-hmm. Why, why have I condemned you, that I might show my justice in you? And Smash you, your little minions in the Red Sea. Yeah. The, he, Pharaoh exalted himself, along with every other person. We all exalt ourselves up like Satan did. In above, We want to be above God. And God has humbled us all. Right. And, and he has been gracious to save some, thus demonstrating his grace. And he has been just to condemn, showing his wrath. And you need both of those. Right. And it's not because, you know, like if I'm selfish, it's a, it's a bad thing. Right? If I want self-glory, it's a bad thing because I'm a sinner. And I, I don't deserve it. But if God wants the glory, he deserves it. He's worthy of it. And therefore, he can show that. And I also, I'll say this. I, I would challenge you in your study of election, as you go through the scriptures, there are numer- numerous passages side by side that parallel uh, reprobation, that is rejection of the unelect, and election. Paul, Paul does it quite a bit, actually. Peter does it quite a bit. And um, you can see in in Thessalonians, you can see it in Peter, you can see it in Romans. And, uh, you know, I'd add a question to this is, are are election and reprobation symmetrical, right? Is God actively working to harden the hearts of sinners? Is he actively uh, working to make sure they don't believe? And I don't believe that's the Reformed or Calvinistic view at all. And I, I think there are very few who would argue for that. They are asymmetrical. Uh, R.C. Sproul wrote a great article on this, and he explains the differences that God is not. Does he harden hearts? Oh, yeah, he does. Does he give people delusions? Yes, he does. We can see that. But he is not actively working to keep them out of the faith like he's actively working to bring people into the faith. They're, they're not on the same level at all. Right. Because so. he doesn't really have to act to keep he us does out not, of the faith, It's right? just like, like concrete hardening, you know? Right. You just, he just has to let it be. Take right. his hand off. Wow, that's a great way to put it. Because concrete's going to harden. It's going to harden, that's right. It's process. That's so, right, that's the nature of um, it. Yeah, for sure. That's good. Um, so, uh, the next question was in regards to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I'm going to read that and then ask the question. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we're all familiar with. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Uh, so then the question is, regarding that passage, what does the, end quote, this is not your own doing, end quote, apply to? The grace, the faith? Isn't it my own doing? After all, I made the decision. It seems a decision isn't a work, or is it? Um, indeed, it is. I would say that it is is a work. Um, a decision is a work, um, and we know that we aren't saved by grace or by works. Sorry, um, so that no one may boast. So this is. It goes into one of the words you said earlier. It's not because I was smarter. Right. Um, that would be a, a work, um, very much in that sense. So um, it is. Let me look at the question again. What does it so, apply to? The grace, the faith. So obviously. The grace isn't our doing, because the grace is is God's grace. Um, the grace is granting us faith. So God's graciously giving us faith to believe, and we've kind of reiterated it at this point. Like this this process. It's, yeah. So God's bestowing grace and granting us faith, which is um, shown through uh, repentance and surrendering to the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, here's here's a verse. Um, I forget who covered chapter thirteen in Acts. Do you remember who covered chapter thirteen? Was it you? When? Uh, when we went through Acts. Oh, Acts. Uh, yes, probably. Okay, so you pointed out verse forty-eight, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. That's the order. Now. This is a very uncomfortable verse for those who reject Calvinism because they want to reverse that order. They want to say, as many as believed were appointed to eternal life, but that's not the order. The order is appointing, receiving eternal life, believing. And and so, uh, yeah, I, I know good Calvinists who, who will disagree with, you know, the majority of us who say that uh, the gift is faith. And grace, or just faith, and that's and that's fine. I mean, I, neither of us are Greek scholars. I'm sure James White has spoken to this. He's very, he's a very renowned, a renowned uh, Greek scholar. But I think the context, and especially chapter one, shows that you know. I mean, you, you have to take Ephesians two in context of chapter one, and in chapter one, he uses the word predestination. He talks about being chosen before the foundation of the earth. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would say that it is both grace and faith that the very action of believing is given by God, in, installed in the heart because there's new life. Right. So here, what, what comes, okay, so regeneration means being given new life, being born again. And we know what believing is. So which happens first believing or regeneration that is being given new life well it's even something i answered earlier i don't know if the listeners caught but you're regenerated and then you act in faith okay okay yeah yeah um so like for example um the custodian that used to let us in at new heights back in west virginia um easter uh it was an easter sunday and uh sam jenkins is his name said he just felt like compelled to leave the office for once and go sit in the message we would say that the Holy Spirit was actively at work there and, and probably regenerated him to the point where at that, that morning at that service, uh, he professed faith. He mm. surrendered his life to Christ. But 
there was this something that came over him right. in the office where like he really didn't give a rip what we were doing any mm-hmm. other Sunday. But it was just that Sunday that the Spirit was just working on him and drawing him um, to himself. So, um, yeah, regeneration than faith. Now, I hear a lot of people, it's like synonymous. And yeah, I agree, yeah. like, yes, like, I don't think that, like, we can be regenerated for years and then it's like, then we come to faith. Like, then it, you can, it, yeah. is, it is like one of those things where it's like, all right, we're splitting hairs, but it's important because this regeneration coming before faith. Um, is important because it's giving God the glory for your salvation. Yeah, a good a good uh, illustration is when you when you turn a light on a room in the room. Um, what comes first, you flicking the light or the light coming on? Well, they, they happen simultaneously. I mean, they're well, not in my bathroom. I just put up a light, <laughs> and it takes a second. Aubrey and I were just talking about this. Yeah. Oh, um, Rose brought you a drink after what you just said about her. That's right. Well, I was just defending her honor after that. So. Um, these Waterloo's. Have you had one? You got to try one before they, before you leave. They're sparkling waters, naturally flavored. No, my parents bought me like twelve cases, okay. and I have five of these a day. So, so what happens first is you flicking the light. Now, it's almost an imperceptible different. Like you, it's it's measurable, but it, imperceptible, right? The light comes on when you flick the light when you're not in Michael's bathroom. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and that's what God has to first give life, right? Lazarus come forth, he gives life, and then Lazarus can respond. So it, it's a logical thing rather than a perceptible thing. Yeah, for right? sure. Yeah. I, I do have a question. Do you flick your light or flip it? I flick it. You flick I, it. I just come Is over. Is that what's wrong with your fingers? All, all of them. lights. Half of them are broken too. Yeah. Do you flick it off too? You know, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna Google it and see if people use that. I want to hear from the users. Who else uses flicking the light? You're you're doing all right. We're gonna. I'm, do I'm gonna do it. Okay. Right so, now. Um, and then this next one we've kind of hit on too. But how can reform theology be consistent with the free will of man? If men are as the T of Tulip describes. And God elects us unconditionally and gives us grace. We can't resist. It seems man has no free will. We've we've talked about that. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to ignore that question, but you could skip back to where we talked about like the the straitjacket and being confined. And, and Char- um, Char- Charles Spurgeon has a great analogy. He was asked, "How can you reconcile predestination and free will?" And he said, well, I, "I don't need to reconcile friends." And he used the analogy of train tracks, where when you look from a distance, the train tracks are parallel and they somehow meet in the distance, even though they don't, it looks that way. And his point was that there's there's no need, both are true. There is a human responsibility and there is predestination. And the scriptures have all sorts of different ways to show that to us. If you're interested, we could, I mean, I think that'd be an interesting study. Just look at all the providential acts of God with believers in the Bible. Mm-hmm. But yeah, right. Okay. Well, and then a follow up to, to that one is um, it seems that God is the auth- author of sin at this point. Uh, man has no free choices, he is only condemned to sin and hell by merely being born. And furthermore, God seemingly ordains and predestines our sin. Um, now, there's definitely a difference here. God is not causing us to sin, right? Um, for He would be unholy to to do so to cause us to sin. Um, you mentioned earlier, like this giving over, like letting the concrete harden. Yeah. Um, if I give my kids, um, if I leave a a snake, I saw this somewhere one time, a snake in the room with my baby, right? A poisonous, venomous snake. Yeah. And I just like let them hang out in the room. Eventually, that snake's gonna bite my kid. Right. 
and I'm going to come back and my baby's going to be blue and I'm going to wonder like why. And it's yeah. like, well, like that's the nature of this venomous snake. Right. That's us. Yeah. And you know, God has has left us not I hope you understand when I say I like left us. It's not because we believe God is active. We don't believe he's a distant God. Right. We're not deists. Um, right. Um but he's not he's not causing you to sin. I really love the analogy that you made of just letting the concrete harden because that's the truth. Um, but would you say that God is the author of sin? And I think it's important to note, too, uh, sin didn't come around with Adam and Eve. Sin had already happened. Right. Uh, this was just the fallenness of man, so our creation. Yes. Um, but by that point, um, angels had fallen because they had sinned against God. So, yeah. Yeah, I would say that no, God is not the author of sin. God doesn't tempt anyone. Uh, interesting, by the way, James 1, the word for tempt is the same word as test, and it's used that God tested Abraham, that same passage, but irrespective of that, um, no, God is not the author of sin. And right. that that is the automatic reply that was given in, in Romans 9. But God, that that's not fair. This is your fault. You why did you make me like this? And that that's that's how we want to respond. It's God's fault. Now, is there a sense in which God is responsible, right? Like yeah. Yeah, there's a sense in which he's responsible, but Shakespeare when he wrote his different plays and his character sinned, uh, Shakespeare himself did not sin in writing that play. His characters sinned. So did God write that the fall would be in history? Yes, he did. And I think that's abundantly clear. The fall was part of God's plan. Well, it had but to be, right? Because Jesus God was an afterthought. Th that's so right. Yeah, because be. it was before the foundation right. of the world. Uh, I mean, it, again, folks, we're talking about a sovereign God who orchestrates every detail. It's been said that there's not a maverick molecule in the universe. Mm -hmm. I mean, you <laughs> said it before, you walk over to your fridge and your eggs fall out. That's not just coincidence. This is, this is the providence of God, good and bad. And thanks be to God that he works all things together for good. For those who love him, right, and for and judgment, we love because he and he first loved us. Yeah. That's right. It's order, which which is first here, right. um, and you know, like I understand, like this uh, logical and philosophical dilemma here, um, and you know, I've tried to like mention to people, like, because then it goes into like, well, God's not fair, like you mentioned, or like God's not just, and it's just not true, and we have to reconcile this no matter which side you're on because God is either allowing people to be born that he didn't elect or if you're Arminian he's allowing people uh, to be born that he knows what to believe and regardless if he's all powerful and all good which people say right um, then then there's some kind of dilemma with the goodness of God we, we, yeah that question that is exactly we have the same problem Arminian you have the same problem as me and I've I've like why would reasoning be born? With, like, yeah if if so, I, I would say yes. God predestines uh, all things, and that He elects, and he, he there's reprobation. I say that they say, well, that's not fair. I say, okay, in your view, God created all these people, and He knew a good number of them were going to end up in hell. He knew that, and yet He created them. Well, yeah, same problem. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. the same problem. So right. we're not we're not enemies on this. We need to we need to work through a biblical response together, right? Because that's an that's not an unbeliever's question, but that is a question that comes out of. Uh, it's a good question you should ask. I'm not saying don't ask questions, but it comes out of a misunderstanding again of who this great God is. 
Right. Next question. Regarding perseverance of the saints, does God preserve in the context of salvation only or in the context of salvation and mm. works? So the question is, we, you already heard us say that justification is monergistic. So is sanctification is sanctification also monergistic so, or is it synergistic? Quick, what is justification? Being declared righteous yeah. by God. So, so when you stand before the Father one day in judgment. Yes, dis- despite all your sin, it's forensically in a legal court setting view has been imputed to Christ. And then his righteousness has been actively imputed to you. So Christ has already been condemned for your sins. And you have been declared righteous with his, robed in his righteousness. Yeah, the Father looks so, at you and sees the work of Christ. Yes. Not the work of your sinful fallen nature though he sees it though he knows about it right, right? it's not like yeah. it's like we're tricking god the right father. yeah right so no, like he, he doesn't remember it's, like he remembers our sin no jesus more. says doesn't, it's paid in full so like when you stand there you're debt free he doesn't hold it against us right. and count it against us punish it for so okay. sorry back to yeah, that. i just want to like no no that's, that's some a of those great point no we we need to keep bringing those up so when you are declared uh, yeah, so that's it, it's when you're declared righteous, we would say that's monergistic. God's work alone, we only play a passive role in it. We're the objects of His salvation, not the causes or influencers. We're not we're not working with Him to save ourselves. So then, what about sanctification? And there there are good disagreements on the side. Is sanctification monergistic? That is, God does it alone, and we're just kind of passive, or is it synerg- synergistic where we have to cooperate with God in our holiness? Right. So, yeah, like it's not the profession of faith and alone, right? Um, that was something I think it was out of Greg Allison's book, uh, 50 Core Truths of the Christian Faith. He said that this is um, not speaking to all people who have professed faith in Christ alone. Like just it, yeah. it doesn't hinge just on this profession that works have to, to follow uh, with it. Um, and, and that's why we say, like, eternal security, like, Baptists have, have clung to that so long to a fault, where it's like, oh, once saved, always saved. And then you've had, like, the tag added to it. Like, if truly saved, then if you're truly saved, you're going to be sanctified. We're going to see f- fruit um, in your life. Um, so are you in control of that fruit? Is it what yeah. you're saying, uh, monergistic or um, synergistic? So what do, you, what do you say? Is sanctification monergistic or synergistic? It's, it's, it's a tough question. So it's like one of those things, again... Um, where we're actively responding mm-hmm. um, as God is actively working. Right. Um, so our response is because of his work within us. Yep. Um, and that is important to to note and attribute to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, this is one of the things that I hope that a lot of people and, and you listeners have gotten out of this series is that um, each person of the Trinity is... Uh, actively at work in your salvation hmm. um, and you get to see the parts of it. It's not that we just talk about a triune God. You're actually seeing how this is played out that the Father elects, the Son um, atoned for, and the Spirit saves, right? Like the, the Spirit is, is coming upon you, drawing you and and uh, sanctifying you. So this is something that each and every day when, when something good, when you do something good, right? Outwardly good, you uh, serve somebody, you love somebody, um, you care for them, you tithe, right? Like that you could say, it's not about me, mm-hmm. it's about God. Um, right. I can give you an example. Um, when I turned 18, I've shared this this with some people. Um, my parents were divorced for a few years at this point, And my mom and stepdad took Aubrey and I to Hibachi. Um, I love Hibachi, by the way, me if too. anybody's ever, yeah, love it. 
trying to look for a place to take me. That's the place. Two days of sodium in one meal. Love it. <laughs> um, and I eat the whole thing. There's yeah, no, I no room for leftovers. Yeah, I get a plate to go, too. Yeah. So um, we did that, and my mom uh, kind of came up with this plan last minute. Uh, she may disagree with this part, but um, we were going to go back. She had made a cake. We are going to go have it at her house. And I was turning eight, I just turned 18, so um, I wanted to go see my dad, too. Right? Like, that's part of the problem with divorce. You've got to, like, split your time, even when you're 18. So I was like, I'm going to go over. Me and Aubrey are going to go see my dad. We saw him for a couple hours, so it was probably like 9.30, 9.45. My mom worked midnight. She's getting ready for work. I get home. She's upset, visibly upset, you can see. Like, I should have been home for this cake. And I told her, I was like, I, I wanted to see my dad for my birthday when my stepdad comes around the corner and he starts getting into it with me. And given, like, history and everything, like, that would have been the moment where let's throw down. Like, right. like, you know, kids, they don't like, particularly in the situation I was in, I'll refrain from sharing a lot. I didn't care for him um, through high school. And at this point, I was like, guys, I'm going to go to my dad's tonight. Let this kind of blow over. Um, I, like, weeped in the car. Like, I was like, man, that's so tough. Like, I would have loved to just, like, thrown down with him. And, and I remember thinking, like, that's the grace of God actively. Mm. That wasn't me. Yeah. Like. Yeah. That that was I did that I actively made that choice, yeah. but it was by the Spirit, um, molding me actively molding me into the likeness of Christ in that's, that moment. That's a good example because I so I would say that sanctification is synergistic, right? But when you say that, it it's not like fifty fifty. It's not like well God's doing fifty percent of the work and I'm doing fifty percent of the work. It's I don't know how good this analogy is, but I think it's kind of like a treadmill. Mm-hmm. That when you get on the tread, treadmill, you're going to move your legs. When you get off, your legs stand still. So I think when uh, we are in the spirit, when we're in obedience, walking, confessing our sins, it doesn't mean we're not sinning. We're confessing our sins. Uh, we are reading scripture, praying. I think that our sanctification, our growth uh, is increased. And then when we fall off the wagon, there is a diminishing of that being made holy. Right. But I don't know. I, I well, think the even questions the, passage, the test of genuineness of your faith would prove yeah, to be true, right? And apart from me, I mean, it's again, it's in Christ, right? So apart from me, you can do nothing. But we're also co-laborers with God. There is, there's, I guess... You know, there's elements of both monergism and synergism. Understand, as long as we understand that it's God giving the grace, I say sanctification, being made holy, is synergistic. That's that's my current position. I'm willing to be challenged on it. Right. Yeah, I, I would I would lean that way again because there's it, it's not all you, right? And I think that was a, a good analogy, at least for the time being, until until someone comes. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, I'm I'm open to that. Uh, because you do see that the tested genuineness of your faith would prove to yes. be, you know, true and real. Um, right. And then, you know, you even think about like trials. That it was it Peter that writes that? I think it's the same passage. Just that those everything that you go through um, is like a burning refining furnace, you. refining yeah. you. Um, so there's a sense of, I mean, even being disciplined. Like you're actively being disciplined as well for bad decisions you make. So right. Um, We'll end here um, on this question. It, it talks about the order of salvation, which we've already hit. Um, well, can we just real, real yeah, quick? Sure. I, I pulled up a little graphic because all right. So when you can you talk, guys see this? Yeah, no, I'm yeah. pulling up for myself. So so <laughs> so there's two types of order of salvation. The Latin term is ordo salutis. If you read any theology book, you'll see that terminology. There's two types. There's a historical right. So what happened in history? The history of salvation uh, with not just God's people, but Christ 
Christ's uh, appearance to earth, you know, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, ascension, seating, etc. Then there's an application of that redemption, which most people refer to that itself as the order of solution, uh, or ordo salutis, order of salvation, and it starts with election, right? So it starts with God choosing before the foundation of the earth. Then you hear the external call, the calling of the gospel. But for the elect, for those who believe, there is an internal calling too that's efficacious. That's the irresistible grace, right? The In Acts 7, the, the unbelievers, they resisted the Holy Spirit because they resisted the external call of the gospel. But in chapter 9, Paul did not resist the Holy Spirit because that was the internal call. Then when, when God comes to the sinner, God the Spirit, he regenerates them. He gives them new life. They're gifted with faith and repentance, and they're converted. They're justified, adopted, sanctified, pers- persevered, or yeah, preser- preserved, and then glorified. So if you just you just Google Ordo Salutis or Order of Salvation, you'll see a few different charts, and some people put them out of different orders, but the way you can tell if it's Calvinistic is where is election? Right. <laughs> is it is it before or after? You know, if there's foreknowledge, then election, then you know that's Arminian. But right. it's it's a good topic to look into because how what happened when you were saved? At what point were you adopted? Justified, right? And what do you see this in Scripture? The uh, order, the, the order. So it is a logical order. So this, we, but you we, see it in the passage. It. I, I do. I see. Well, I Romans see. Eight. It, I think Ephesians. Yeah, Romans eight is probably the strongest, but also Ephesians one and two demonstrate it. But yeah, Romans eight. Uh, I think you just. I, I went through this with my kids actually. I don't know if you preached on this. I think this is probably we actually it during the series. Those yeah, that's right. You, also called, you did this. Honestly, justified. this is an airtight argument. I. I've never, if you have a good argument against this, I would love to hear it because I've never heard a good one. Wesley couldn't argue with it. I read his commentary on it. For uh, Okay, so, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of son in order that I'm, he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So working backwards, if 50 people are glorified, that means 50 people have been justified, called, predestined. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like an airtight... Or I think this is probably one of the strongest passages for the Calvinistic framework. Right. If you have a good response to it, I'm all ears. Yeah. So in here, uh, as you explain uh, that, can you weave in the tulip? Uh, because of total depravity, God has to regenerate us, giving us a new nature so that we put faith in God consistent with our new nature, and thus God justifies us, granting repentance and irresistible grace, which has was decided through his election, the youth. Okay, so wait, uh, uh, so do trying we to follow ha- that. Yeah, do we in our fallen state put faith in God, then we are regenerated, and then justified? So... Yeah, so that, that's just the chart that I went through. I'm sorry, right. I thought you said we already went through that, which we did. But, yeah, so I'd say that first you are regenerated, and at the time of regeneration... Well, first you're totally depraved. Well, yes, you start totally depraved, bound will. You don't have a free will to come to God. Your will is bound. God in mercy visits you by his Holy Spirit and applies the work of the atonement, regenerates you, gives you new life. You believe and repent and are thus, therefore, uh, justified, adopted, 
you're being you're positionally sanctified in Christ, you're being progressively sanctified in Christ, and then one day you will be glorified. So that that order is important. I think you can kind of disagree on a couple of the points, like what comes first, justification. I think I think it makes logical sense to put justification before adoption, right? Uh, so God justifies the sinner and then adopts them. But I think it's all one package of salvation that he gifts to the believer, just puts inside their heart, and that's the way he views them, mm-hmm. essentially. Right. What, what do you think about the, the orders? No, I mean, I think that's great. And I think the word gift is important to understand, too. It's like, yeah. like language matters. So, like, if it's a gift, um, it's a gift given, not a gift taken. Um, otherwise, it's not a gift. God freely gives it to those whom he's predestined, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and again, it's his work. So it's like, and we, we can think about it like rejecting gifts. And it's, I, I can't think of a moment where people have rejected gifts. Like, it, just even in our like worldly mindset, it's mm. like, well, I can reject yeah. it. It's so funny because, and, and this will be kind of like my last thing, with this doctrine, it, it really, this is the most selfless humankind, like mankind <laughs> is. Yeah. Oh, what about them? And it's like, when have you ever cared about other people? Like, right, right. And don't get me wrong. Like, I care about other people too. But it's like, the art, the the reason we drive this home is so that the the sound theology will lead the proper doxology. That because you understand how and why God saved you, that it was His work, you would properly praise Him. It would lead mm. to to proper worship, and not just on Sunday mornings where you're singing out loud, but in your day to day mundane life. Uh, where things just feel so bleak and blue and just so mundane. Like, I mean, just no no better word for it. You can praise him uh, yes. because of his goodness that, that met you were where you were and took you out of that dead state and gave you life. Yeah, this, I'm telling you, these doctrines, they really, they really reshape the way you view your life and the world and how you engage with it. And I just want to be clear, at no point are we advocating for excuses or laziness. When you sin, well, I guess God predestined me. No, you sin. No sinner will stand in front of God on Judgment Day and lift up the shield of Romans 9 and say, well, you made me this way, God. No, he made man perfect and righteous and holy, and man of his own will rebelled, rejected God, was condemned and deserved hell. So this is not; these are not excuses to not evangelize, to not pray, to not attend church. Well, I'm elect. I'm, I'm going to heaven. No, that's not. Remember, there is an element of sanctification being proactive. You must, you right. must be holy. Right. You must act in a holy manner. Confess your sin when you fall. When a righteous man falls seven times, he gets up each time. So, I just want to make sure this is not, this is not an excuse. There, there's a story. Uh, about William Carey, and he was part of the particular Baptists. Uh, there are some old paths Baptists today where basically they're hyper Calvinists. And in this hyper Calvinist assembly, William Carey was compelled to go reach the nations with the gospel. He, God put in his heart and he proposed it, and they said, they, one of the guys stood up and said, Sit down, young man. If God wants to save the heathens, he'll do it himself. That is hyper-Calvinism. We reject that all in. And he, he and by the way, William Carey was a Calvinist. You look at every 
major evangelists, most effective evangelists in church history, they were mostly Calvinists. Paul the Apostle, Jesus, uh, Peter, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. like George Whitfield, uh, even Martin Luther, Calvin. Jesus Christ himself. G- yeah, Jesus was a Calvinist. Now, that's just a shorthand term, as we've explained. Um, but yeah, the, the way, okay, so. Manny, the talk up. Yeah, I was going to say, it's raining rain. by God's providence. And, and this is the beauty is you can you can trust God as a believer no matter what happens, whether it starts raining in the middle of the podcast, you stub your toe, lose your job, your marriage dissolves, a tragedy occurs, you can trust God. This is a pillow on which you can like really lay your head right. in confidence. Absolutely. Well, we hope that this podcast helped you to put Jesus into perspective. I'm sure that there are many questions. You can still send them in. Uh, we can answer them um, in a next, the next episode. We can reach out to you if you want to have coffee. love to just explain this a little further. Um, nonetheless, church, we have a mission, and that mission incorporates us um, going to honor God and all that we do, observing the things he's commanded, providing some of the needs of others, and extending the offer that's been extended to us. Church, go and have a great week, and we will see you soon. Soli Deo Gloria. Boom. <laughs>